You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this, it is another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh. I'm joined, as always, by Neil Seawang. Neil, how are you going after a, an interesting weekend of footy? Interesting weekend of footy and, a, and an enormous weekend or you know, 48 hours in, in world sport as well. So we we're just talking about how the finals were, were, fan, you know, they were fantastic results for the two winning teams, but they kind of almost got lost with everything else that was happening in the world. It was, uh, it was a massive, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep. Yeah, Jake Michaels, you were just telling us before that uh, you finally had a, a decent evening of sleep yourself after keeping abreast of everything that was going on in the world of F1, NBA, tennis, the lot. Uh, what was your pick of the bunch from the weekend? Oh, gee, it certainly wasn't the footy finals. That was terrible. <laughs> um, so we'll just, uh, we, we won't talk too much about the other sports because we, we are an AFL podcast, but um, yeah, the, the footy finals weren't great, particularly after such an awesome first week where we had four awesome, awesome games and yeah, a little bit disappointing. So, yeah, Christian, uh, you would have seen... Fingers crossed it picks up. Yeah, fingers crossed for prelims and, uh, and the week after that. Christian, I was just about to say, you probably watched a lot of football over your time. Uh, this weekend probably wasn't one for the, the highlights reel, uh, except for those fans, obviously, of, of, uh, of the winning teams. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, too. I'm very, um, I mean, it's Saturday night, the sea final is just an un, unusual result, just an, un, un, uh, yeah, an unusual feeling throughout the game that Collingwood was never in it and the anticipation coming into it. Uh, but again, I think the disappointment can subside a little bit, at least. I think after the unusualness of 2020, the four best teams are, are playing off in the prelims, I think. Um, you know, we sort of said pre-pod, West Coast and Collingwood were always in and out of that maybe top four, top five. Um, but yeah, the, the four teams that are playing this weekend are the four teams that probably deserve to make it in terms of totality of this year. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we've touched on it just there, but if the first week of finals was one of the better weeks of footy we've seen this year or in recent memory, then the semis might have been one of the poorer weeks. Uh, two relatively eventless finals took place. Um, that's if you count uh, an almighty walloping by, from Geelong over Collingwood as, as an eventless match. And we'll touch on those two teams shortly. Um, but we might as well get stuck into it. And I say this every week, but we do have heaps to talk about. Uh, but guys, firstly, something you noticed from the weekend that might get lost in today's episode. Jake, I might start with you. Anything from the weekend catch your eye? Well, we just, you kind of just mentioned it there, the, the smashing, Collingwood smashing. If, if you look at the stats table in that game, 13 <laughs> of the top 15 ball winners in that game were Geelong players. 13 of the top 15. It was only Trelaw and Adams that were, were in that top 15, which is just insane and there's some other crazy crazy numbers there but the thing the, the player that I really uh, that caught my eye was Mitch Duncan I think he's had a pretty down year by his standards and he's a player that can really get them going he's a great ball user he gets a lot of ball up half back so much uncontestable he had 27 of his 30 touches were uncontested it's the first time this year he had 30 touches in a game and I reckon he can really be that that sort of trump card, that that extra that extra player, the X factor, whatever you want to call it, that can really boost Geelong, particularly if they're going to be looking to play uh, danger forward more often. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and we'll talk about Dangerfield in a minute as well. We've got some interesting stats on on dual threat players like him and uh, Dustin Martin. Christian, something that caught your eye from the weekend, we might not get to talk about in depth. Um, yeah, probably uh, two Richmond players that, you know, um, outside of the hub for a lot of the years, stay home. Basha Hooley and Shane Edwards' impact on the weekend. Um, 
I mean, Bashan has been back since I think round 13 now, so it's you know sixth or seventh game back for him. Uh, but it was probably his biggest game since coming back in. And Edward, so it's sort of just yeah, good to see those two t- two those two players coming straight back into the team and uh, having an impact when it matters. And probably yeah, won't get as much love as uh, they probably should amongst everything else for what you know. I mean, everyone's been putting up with an unusual 2020 season, but for those guys to have to fly in, fly back home, and mm. come back in later in the season, um, they're doing quite well. Criminally underrated, Shane Edwards. He must be one of the, the league's best last kicks inside 50. Like if, you're, if you're sort of 70 from goal and you're looking to, to, for someone to hit a leading target or to kick it to a spot where a forward can run into it, he's probably just about one of the, one of the top sort of three or four guys in the comp that you'd want with the ball in his hand. Yeah, yeah a, little um, bit of, um, a little bit of a champion that I love child too. Because I think about 2016, 17, he's, you know, again, the quantity wasn't high, but the quality of his numbers were there. And there was just a lot of um, sort of... Um, Yes, sort of, you know, standouts of his numbers that this guy could could be something if he was just given the right role. And again, the way Richmond have maximised all their players, he, he's mm. one of them. That, that he's one of the best um, gaining metres with his handball. And we know Richmond's the best side of that. And he's probably the number one in their team at doing that. So, yeah, very important to the way they play. Absolutely. Neil, something that caught your eye we might not get to discuss in too much depth. Yeah, another Tiger. Um, I think I've got... Uh, a new nomination or someone on the podium for my favourite players to watch. And, Here we go. and he's another one that doesn't get a huge amount of footy. I love Shy Bolton. I love his creativity. Um, I love his finishing skills. I love the fact that the Tigers are comfortable throwing him through the midfield, having been majority small forward for most of his career. Um, and he's just... I love the players that can open up the game for their teammates. And he, I think he only got 11 touches on the weekend, but he was one of Richmond's best. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I've, I've tracked his career quite closely just because I like the way he plays and he looks like you know, in finals, he's, he's stepping up and he was excellent against St Kilda. Well, absolute props to well, him. He had because... a pretty down game. Yep, uh, absolutely. I was about to say, in the, in the yeah, qualifying final. But yeah, he bounced Brisbane. back, yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's okay. I mean, he's only 21 years old. So to, to sort of realise that you must have had a really poor down game in the qualifying final where he, he gave away two goals um, at, at crucial mm. stages... Uh, to come back and kick three himself this week. I think he kicked two in a row in that, that sort of stage where two Tigers, too. they were really good goals. And they were ones that, that gave Richmond a bit of breathing space too and allowed um, them to sort of, I don't know, just put the, put the foot on the accelerator a bit and keep the game out of St Kilda's reach for the next couple of quarters. So he was absolutely crucial. He said only 11 touches, but three of them goals, three goals straight. Um, absolutely very important. I'm going to stay with that game for something that I noticed. But again, I'll kind of go a little bit left of field. Remember Ash Barty was in the, in the crowd at the Gabba for um, Richmond's first game against uh, Brisbane. And, and she was just there with her beer in her hand, wearing a, a regular old T-shirt. Now, she was there again on, on, uh, on the weekend watching, watching the Tigers against the Saints. But this time had one of those brand new Richmond jumpers with the little gold emblem on it, uh, signifying that it's a brand new jumper from, from the 2019 grand final win. Now, the cynic in me says that someone at Richmond's gone, we're missing a big PR move here to not have her in a, in a Tigers jumper. Uh, so I reckon they might have shipped one express overnight post to her uh, and said, we'll get you on camera again, but you've got to be wearing this jumper if you can. <laughs> I like it. Um, we, we've talked a lot about conspiracy theories in the last episode or so. <laughs> uh, Richmond conspiracy theories. So yeah, I think you might be spot on. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was a little bit interesting that uh, she's suddenly gone from uh, just wearing a, a good old T-shirt with a beer in her hand to wearing the, the Richmond jumper. Just a little bit too, I don't know, it's <laughs> a bit strange for me. All right, uh, let's get stuck into it. Uh, we'll, we'll briefly touch on the, the semi-finals, even though they both, they both were uh, somewhat underwhelming games. I mean, obviously, Jake, you mentioned it off, off the top. Collingwood smashing was just 
Uh, I, I sort of said, I, I don't remember a more comprehensive belting in a final. And, and I know this is, talk, this is talking about uh, in recent times, that is. And this is talking in an era where we've had the 2019 grand final where the Giants scored a couple of only three, three goals, I think it was. Um, there's been a few games like the 119-point loss that Port had to Geelong in the 2007 grand final. But for Collingwood to have three and a half quarters where they'd scored one goal, one for the game, and finished minus 156 in disposals. And we talked about the disposal numbers. I, don't, I cannot remember a more comprehensive smashing in, in, in a game that we kind of thought could go on either way. So just to add to those disposal numbers, um, again, that, that was the biggest thing for me is that Collingwood have played 80 quarters, sorry, they've played 76 quarters across the season. I'm going to buy one of the weeks. That was their four lowest disposal tally quarters in games this year. So, you know, it started with quarter one was 50 disposal, which set a new set a new season low for them. Um, Increased it in quarter two to 54, which you know was still the lowest, but not as low as Q1. Uh, Q3 back to 50. Q4 they um, broke records at 46 disposals for that whole quarter. So it was just, as you say, the, the GWS Richmond Grand Final last year. GWS controlled the ball for 20 minutes. And that, that was my worry for them because they were such a high sort of stoppage and chaotic team for the whole home and away season. They got their hands on the ball a lot in that first 20 minutes of the grand final last year. Just didn't do much with it and couldn't put it on the scoreboard. Collingwood from, from 10 seconds in that game could not mm. touch the ball. And Geelong were just able to pick targets off at will. So it was, it was yeah, from, from the zero minute mark onwards, um, Geelong controlled that game. You wonder- 16. Yeah. 16 of their 22 players had 10 or less disposals for the game. 16. It's just, you like, it's outrageous to think. Like, it's, they were smashed. They just couldn't get their hands on the ball. And you're not going to do anything if you can't do that. And Geelong, it was just, Geelong, they could have won by more if they really wanted to. They, just, oh, they took their foot off the pedal. There's no need to in the end. Yeah. It, and the thing, it was I mean, kind of unfathomable, wasn't it? Like, it kind of, the, the way that Collingwood couldn't run, couldn't pressure. It looked like, you know, sometimes you see a team and they perform badly and then you hear that they all got food poisoning the night before <laughs> and you sort of go, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. Like, that hasn't come out. And obviously, you know, we would have heard about it if something like that happened. But they look like a team that were physically or mentally unable to actually compete. It, it's kind of strange because you looked at the week before and it was such an emotional win for that club. And they had to go over to Perth. They had the, the shortened quarantine. They had to fly straight back out. Um, not many people gave them much of a chance of beating the Eagles that, that week. Uh, and they kind of, they drew on that emotion, especially in the aftermath. Like we saw like Mason Cox, you know, they had the dirty pies hashtag and, um, you know, Buckley going on AFL 360 saying it's one of four, it's one of four. Like you can just tell it would have been emotionally sapping, even though it was all positive emotion after that game, it would have been emotionally sapping going into another game where, and the Cats would have been looking at it going, geez, we can't lose two in a row after finishing top four and go out in straight sets again. So it might've just been the perfect storm that Chris Scott and, and the cats were just sort of fired up enough. And, and the pies had been too fired up after the first week to sort of put up a fight. Like as weird as it sounds. That being said though, right, if that, if that was the case, you'd expect Collingwood to come out all guns blazing and maybe fall away. Like I, I just, it was remarkable how little fight. They and they've been such a strong first quarter just, team all year as well. Mm. I find that with, and it's kind of like the 2019 grand final, you know, you, as a player, you know, you know, halfway through that second quarter toward getting towards half time, you're not winning the match. You're just not winning. And as a player, you know, you've got nothing to all of a sudden, all of the preparation, the whole year, the build up to the game. And in the space of, you know, 40, 45 minutes, 
you're like, well, we're not winning this. And your head drops and you're, you know, you're naturally not going to be playing at 100%. The other team's full of confidence, playing well. And it just, it, that's why it builds, that it, it kind of, the gap widens. Yeah. And that's best kind of what happened. One of the best, you know, long-term example of that is, I think, nearly every grand final from about 1986 to 2002 when Collingwood-Brisbane played a close one. They were, they were all just completely, you know, they were all mainly smashings because the same thing. Once one team got a run on in that first mm-hmm. half, um, and, you know, it was always a complaint that the grand final was, you know, never lived up to expectations. Just even as a kid, you could tell that there was always that one team that looked better in the first quarter and the other team just dropped their heads so quickly, just thinking, well, that's our season done. And that's what it felt like, again, like with the, with the Collingwood Geelong game. They just, everyone just like for me this game was done. But it felt like that from literally the first bounce. Yeah. It felt yeah. like Collingwood already had their heads down. Yeah, it's strange. Neil, we've been doing uh, a, a ratings piece, uh, rating the, the, the years of each team. We had uh, Collingwood's pass mark. Can you tell us what that was? And, and how do we sort of rate Collingwood's year after their semi-final exit? Yeah, it's all about context with how you rate them. I, I think at the start of the year, we said that their pass mark would be to play in the grand final because they mm-hmm. had a really mature list. They'd been um, you know, challenging for flags you know, for three or four years. So obviously that's a fail if you, if you look at it in that respect. So I think it, it, look, it, it probably can only be considered a failed year if you're looking at it pass or fail. Um, the fact they've gone um, backwards the last three years from a very high, you know, they've gone um, grand final, kick away from a premiership to prelim to semi-final exit. I think that would be a little bit concerning for, for Collingwood fans and, and those inside the club. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm a little bit concerned about their, their short-term future. I think, you know, they, they're an ageing list. I think for the first time in a long time, I saw Pendles getting caught holding the ball and looking a little bit slow. Um, well, the first time ever, really. So I'm a little bit concerned that maybe they've missed their chance in this window. I know things can change. You know, if they have a dramatic off-season and get some big-name recruits, they, they can reshape their list. But, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't look overly positive in my eyes. A focal point up forward wouldn't go astray. I know that Mason Cox had a great outing uh, against uh, the Eagles, but you can't rely on him and, and Maya check to be the, the one-two punch up there. And I think that, mm. um, I mean, there's a bit of tall timber on, uh, on display sort of coming into the off-season. We look at Jeremy Cameron, we don't know what he's doing. Could he be lured to the pies? He might be a piece that could really help them. So, look, as you say, it is ageing, but we've seen teams like Geelong and Hawthorne prove that mm. ageing lists aren't the be-all and end-all if you're going to be chasing final success. No, that's, um, that's fair enough too. Yeah. Well, the other the other final, um, St Kilda Richmond. It wasn't quite as much of a blowout, but the Saints were on the back foot from from the get go and, and never led in the match and and kind of struggled their way to uh, to the final siren. How did we how did we rate St Kilda's match first of all? And and the Tigers looked back to basically their best. Christian, you mentioned with their their run carry and meters gained. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll start with, um, I mean, you asked a question about how we rate St Kilda, but for me, it was, um, it was the way Richmond won that game, which was just, just proves how good Richmond are as a team. So across the match, they were actually outscored from turnovers um, across the game by 17 points. They've never been the number one team for outscoring their opposition from turnovers. So again, you know, if you're looking at the St Kilda stats board and you see that number, you go tick. But um, it was at the stoppages where Richmond have, you know, um, probably conceded a little bit of ground. Um, don't mind losing clearances because the rest of the setup is so strong. It was um, one of the three times they've won clearances this year. So they only won, I think, three more clearances than the Saints. Um, but they were able just to turn their clearances into scores um, more than they had all year. So 
ended up outscoring the Saints 8-4-52 to 1-3-9 from the stoppages. Um, and sort of just looking at the flip side of that, coming into the game, St Kilda were the second best team at sort of converting a clearance uh, into a score. So um, sort of, you know, we've spoken about Richmond in the past. They, they can nail any game style that you can give them on a day. They, they can score from back half heavily, which they did for um, half the year in their 2017 premiership season. Um, really good forward half scoring team for um, the second half of that year. Um, as I said, score from turnovers, which is always a key indicator and something you always want to do well because it's so, you know, that's, that's general playing being able to turn the, the messy general playing to your scoreboard advantage. And then here they come out against the Saints and just nail the stoppage game um, and kick, you know, 50 points from it. So just another big tick for Richmond and their, their ability to sort of just to get the best out of their cattle in the park. And yeah, everyone sort of played their part. So that, that's the biggest thing for me is, um, is the way Richmond won the game. I, I, I still give St. Kilda a little bit of tick of, you know, on their season and things, but they were just outmatched by a much well, better. That's, that's quite astonishing that Richmond appear to be able to adapt their game style to, to not just counter, but smash their opponents who have different strengths and weaknesses on a week to week basis. It's, I mean, that's what the stats tell, tell us and Christian with your, you know, with your insight to the stats, but we can only draw the conclusion that, that Hardwick somehow can fashion a game style to, to overcome their opponent's weaknesses. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, yeah, and as I said, it's not the first time he's done it. So yeah, you'd have to, you have to say there's a lot of credit it has to go to the way they set up. Um, you know, what we banged on about the last couple of weeks being predictable to themselves, but also yeah. being able to take, take away the opposition's greatest strength and be able to turn that into your strength is, is unbelievable. The, the one that stands out to me is centre clearances. I know you said the Tigers won plus three in clearances around the ground, but centre clearances plus 10, 15 to five. And this is despite losing the hit out count 16 to 26. Uh, this, and this was both, this was in both games, both semifinals, the team that had the most hit outs. So Grundy had the more hit outs in, in, for Collingwood um, uh, in their game, but, lost the clearance count again and we just smashed around the ball. And that's what the Tigers just sort because of... Because hit-outs don't mean anything. Well, I mean, maybe that's another chat it, for another day about Ruckman and, and the... Over- we talk about this once a year, I reckon. Ruckman overrated, et cetera, et cetera. But, geez, I tell you what, the Tigers and the, and the Caps did a real good job of, um, of sharking the opposition's Ruckman. Jake? I think if, if we had a, a dollar for every time... So, I think... If we had a dollar for every time Jake said that Dangerfield should only be played midfield, and if we had a dollar for every time we said that Ruckman were overrated, would be rich men. <laughs> uh, Neil, while we've got you there, St Kilda's year, how do we rate them compared to their pre-season uh, aspirations? Yeah, I think most Saints fans would be really satisfied with, with the year they had. Um, I think our, um, our pass mark was to be in the finals race in August without yes. having known that the season would extend into um, October, but, but effectively saying they've got to be around the mark to play finals. Um, and they did and they, and they, and they won one. So I think that can only be considered a success. I think it's obvious that they need maybe one, maybe two more um, inside midfielders that can help win those clearances and get the ball forward. I think they're a really good mm. fast outside team. Um, and they've got a lot of young talent, but yeah, I think their, their season would be considered a B plus if I had to give them a, a rating. So, so one forgotten player, just to remember, coming into next year to sort of help on the inside, Luke Dunstan, only played that one game and Thorpe Peck muscle. And uh, he's been ruining my spreadsheets all year because he had, I think, nine or seven tackles in that game. So he was the number one tackler per game this year and number one pressure rack per game because he was just <laughs> so good. But again, he, he's just an instant addition, if you like, into St. Kilda's midfield. Not, I'm sure he comes straight back in their, their best 22. So That's a good point. Uh, Jake, Tom Lynch, lucky to avoid suspension for his knee into Dougal Howard's neck, shoulder, head area. 
probably, yeah. Not a good look. And mm. we, 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 I feel like, you know, we talk about getting a dollar for things that we say. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we generally, have, every couple of weeks, we're talking about a player lucky to, to escape a suspension. So when are they going to learn? When are these players going to realise that you can't you, do You know when he's going to learn? You know when Tom Lynch is going to learn? Is when he gets suspended for something like this because he's been he's been he's had incidents four times this year that were all possibly worthy of a one week ban and he's gotten away with it four times. So he'll he'll stop doing it when he gets suspended. And this is what the MRO talks about a lot: is you need to but, discourage. But should, but should like, there, go on? Should everything accumulate? Should if you have four borderline offences, should you be getting a suspension? Well, these or aren't even borderline. Is each thing looked at individually? If this was looked at, if well, this they was are at, borderline though. No, I, they're I not think, 100% suspension. I think he knows that he can get away with with these tummy taps on on Sam Collins on this knee into Dougal Howard's neck, and I know that he can get away with it because he'll get off. Uh, and the fact that it happened in a final, I think, it's a bit dodgy as well. Um, because I, I reckon if that happens during the season, he probably gets a week. But you know, weak hands from the MRO. But, and but during the season, but there were three things during the season he didn't get a week. So yeah, I, I agree. Well, maybe the MRO has been weak all year, especially on someone like Lynch. I don't know how he's gotten away with it four times. Yeah. I've got to say. The MRO play has... Yeah, play devil's advocate. Go for it, Neil. So if you're if if, if you're a <laughs> Richmond fan, yes. Do you, do you care? Like, if you you look at key forwards and you want them to be aggressive, right? Would you rather your key forwards be slightly over aggressive or slightly under aggressive? Like, uh, would, unless he gets a unless then, he misses a big game from it, would do do you care? So no, to me, he's well, getting away. A, a yeah. good example of, you know, the way I'd answer that question is that contest he had 20 minutes before, um, what he did to Dougal Howard, where Ben Patton got split open in the head. I still haven't seen a great replay. I had a feeling from one of the angles I saw Dougal Howard's elbow might have come through and uh, got the main flush on Bat- Patton. I don't know if we exactly got the contact. But again, that was him attacking the ball. Attacking taking the footy. Out the play on. Someone went off injured, you know, and he, he took out a guy from the game doing what he does best. To me... That's what you want from your key forward, isn't it? Not, not yeah. he's yeah. on the back, heads under me as well. Yeah. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't achieve anything. So, again, I think from what he did that 20 minutes earlier, you just want to see more of that. Yeah. You, you like physicality if it's, if it's at the ball and in the air, create contests. But that, that doesn't impact the game, does it, doing things like that? It's, it's a shocking look. And I know he got 50 metres from it, but seriously, he's gotten away with a lot this season. Uh, and he should count himself very lucky that he's, he's playing in a prelim. Yeah. No, I was uh, just, I mean... Yeah, anyway, we can probably probably push on because it, we could open a can of worms talking about the MRP and whatnot. But your, your, your point, Matt, is right. If they were serious about trying to take these acts out of the game, they would actually yeah. start suspending people. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Uh, but at which, least I which guess... Which they said they wanted to do. Absolutely. Which they said the they wanted to do, but they never actually followed through with it, particularly, yeah. and whether it's a conspiracy or not, but <laughs> we all know the bigger, the bigger the name, the less likely they are to get suspended when it's, yeah. again, a borderline type thing. Especially like in that. finals. Um, I'll say one thing about the in MRO and Tom Lynch. At least he's consistent. So there you go. Um, let's move on. <laughs> being, being an ESPN show, we are obliged at least once a year to tip our cap in the direction of uh, American sports and the NFL. Uh, and there's a big buzz term in terms of quarterbacks over there called a dual threat QB. Those who are good with the, uh, both their arm and their legs. So throwing the ball or running the ball. And uh, I think it applies to footy too. And I know this is a bit of a stretch, um, but spare with me on this one. They're not quite swingmen, these dual threats. Swingmen are more sort of your, your key backs who can go forward and kick a goal or your key forward who can go back and slot into a hole in defence. But dual threats are those who can plonk themselves in the forward 50 and have a devastating impact, uh, but also go into the midfield and be really destructive there. 
And we saw Paddy Dangerfield on the weekend, Jake, and I know I'm, I'm loath to sort of bring this up around you because I know you've got a lot of opinions about this. Uh, but he was excellent in both roles. He played up forward, uh, through the midfield, was good at both, kicked four goals, uh, and was just amazing. And, and part of the reason that Geelong were able to get such a jump on the pies. And there are some other players that come to mind when you talk about dual threats. Uh, Dustin Martin, Christian Petrarca had a really good breakout year as one, Jordan Degoe. Uh, so we thought we'd task Christian with determining just who the best dual threat player is in the, uh, in the AFL. I was about to say NFL, Christian. <laughs> uh, yeah, so <clears throat> I've used um, 2019 and 2020 combined numbers um, to do this, just looking at, um, when I started looking into it, just found sort of it brought into more minutes and players that, you know, definitely are, you know, dual threats. So again, what I've used is minimum of 500 minutes in both the midfield and forward line across the last two years. Um, and then I took a little bit of license and extended that out to at least 499 minutes because Nat Fife has only played 499 minutes as a forward um, in the last two years. Get so him in there. I wanted to include him in there. Round so let's just, uh, let's just put that asterisk there. So um, again, yeah, talking about Dangerfield, he's been, and again, this is using ranking points per 100 minutes um, in that position. So when he's playing as a midfielder, he averages 126 ranking points per game, which is fifth of all midfielders. Um, and when he's playing forward, it's 96 ranking points per game, which is ninth of all forwards. So, again, most um, most players that have dual, dual threats are going to get higher ranking points in the midfield. They're around the ball more, getting more disposals, you know, more involved in the game. Um, so, yeah, not not a lot of difference with Dangerfield. But I think the greatest strength with Dangerfield when they do it is is it's the, the surprise element of it. I mean, he did. He ended up playing 94%, I think we recorded, as a forward. Um, on the night against Collingwood. So, you know, even though he was sort of coming up to the midfield and winning the ball on the wing, he was still playing as that high half forward. So right. he hadn't really played that high percentage um, all year. So he's sort of gone down there for 30, 40% some games, finished second halves down there. But to see him actually play um, almost as a permanent forward on Saturday night, it was almost that element of surprise. But, and again, we just spoke about that game though. Collingwood was so far off. Who, who knows how much success that really had because Geelong were just so dominant. Um, you wouldn't say that was, you know, that was the key to the game, Dangerfield playing forward. Uh, but yeah, just looking at a few other guys. So Bonson Pally is another guy that does it a lot. He's only 29th ranked as a midfielder, so 116 ranking points. Um, so his ranking points per 100 minutes drop as a forward to 109, but that's actually ranked second. So again, he's, he's another one that, I wouldn't look at these numbers and go, all right, you need to play Bonson Pally more as a forward because I think the value is that they can throw him forward at mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes a quarter and put the defence out of pressure. Um, you know, again, you'd have to go on to a whole other day's work to work out right? when these guys actually start forwards in a game and spend, you know, actually present themselves as a forward from the opening bounce, how well they do. I think these guys are the guys that get thrown there, you know, during a game when, when you know, to mix things up. I'm su- I'm surprised that Bont's that high as a forward. Like he he doesn't immediately spring to mind as one of these dual threat type players that that looks that damaging in games as a forward. I can't. Is it the work really? Yeah, the work around like the, the stoppages in a forward fifty setting, and it might not um, just be having shots at goal or or stuff like yeah, that. Like you're, yeah. You're so right. again, and we always talk about Bont's play. So when I sort of looked at his numbers, I haven't ended up cutting out the exact rankings, but he wasn't number one Phoenix. So as again, it was all per hundred minutes as a forward. Uh, he's just always in the top. So he's fifth for clearances per 100 minutes of the forward, fifth for ground ball gets 100 minutes per forward, fifth or sixth for goals per 100 minutes of the, as a forward. So he's always, he just he just has that balance of, even when he plays forward, he's still being able to get, you know, a bit of a disposal around the forward 50, um, you know, tackles and clearances still come into account as, a, you know, as that 
um, general forward that you're sort of playing in that position. So uh, there was no there was no one thing. Again, he's not he's not a huge goal kicker. Um, oh, sorry, he's not you know highly accurate in front of goal, but he still has you know scoreboard impact with assists and sort of getting involved in play. Um, so yeah, he, he was an interesting one. Into again, 29th as a midfielder, he's a, he's a pretty good midfielder, but again, he seems to um, come up higher as a value as a forward. Uh, so a couple other names we mentioned, as I said, Fife we threw in there. So he's eighth ranked as a midfielder, 104 points per 100 minutes, and fifth as a forward. Um, Petrarca was an interesting one. So he was um, seventh as a four, uh, sorry. He was uh, seventh as a midfielder this year with 120, you know, across the last two years, but mainly because of this year, 125 points per 100 minutes. And we spoke about him last year. He was 77 points per 100 minutes, which was 63rd as a forward. So there were signs there. There was, you know, positive signs. But overall, his game just wasn't matching up as most other general forwards were. Uh, Dustin Martin's another interesting one. He's 44th as a midfielder. Goes up to 10th as a forward. Uh, so, again, I, I wouldn't be saying advocating for Martin to be plonked forward 80% of the season. He's another one that can they, – they do it when the time's right. Um, we spoke about Richmond being able to change up their game style and things like that. They get they get Martin isolated forward when when the time's right. Um, and a bit of a different name, Josh Dunkley. He's 21st as a midfielder, but Bulldogs use him really well. He's third best when he goes in um, as a forward. So 108 running two points per 100 minutes. He's sort of the third best of these types of players we're talking about. Um, and he's the one, he's sort of number one for tackles when he goes in there, still hits the scoreboard, number one for intercept possession, so he can win the ball back. Um, so he's really high. But the other name that's sort of come out is um, probably another guy that played Saturday night opposite to Patrick Dangerfield, Jordan Dugowie, who I sort of wanted to talk about. So he comes up as 79th as a forward across the last two years, sixth as a midfielder. Hmm. Um, so I sort of said to you guys in the pre-pod meeting, this, this guy, if you're looking at Collingwood's list, he's probably their best forward on the list. <laughs> So looking at the, the list of names, you go, okay, who's the first guy running our forward line is Dugowie. The numbers to me, and, and I, I just thought of by eye for the last few weeks anyway, I think he needs more midfield time. He needs to be one of those players that you just grow forward um, at certain parts of the game. He doesn't actually get, you know, become that anchor forward, which he's playing as. It's worked some games. Uh, but again, looking at the numbers combined for the last two years, to say 79th as a forward and 6th as a midfielder, the numbers are telling me he, he does do well when he's sort of, put further up the ground and sort of, yeah, and probably not not giving as close attention as he is when he's just playing one-on-one out against the Well, I mean, is, is that because you look at Collingwood's midfield and it's arguably star-studded to the to the point where it's a you know top three midfield in the, in the league, whereas Collingwood's forward line is desperately in need of some big names who can have impact? Is that why he's sort of left down there more often, you think? Uh, yeah, I think so. Again, we all know it. He's, he's an absolute matchman. He can kick five and kick six. He's one of the best one-on-one players. So he's got all the strength of a forward. But yeah, again, that's why the call would be hard. And I'm glad I'm not a coach because, you know, I'm just a guy that looks at the numbers and, you know, makes calls. But as I said, it's, um, yeah, he, he just seems so good as a midfielder. I think he needs more midfield time. So we can talk about him similar to Danger, Dusty, Fife, the guys that are actually mainly going to be at your centre bounce and just be thrown forward at 30, 40% of the game where mm. they've got the balance different with the goalie at the moment. Yeah. Whether that's how he elevates himself to become an, an absolute elite player is getting that midfield balance right. Jake, it seems like the names that we're getting getting through, these are names that you'd have first or second selected on just about any team in the league. Um, you know, dual threats, are they the, the thing that are going to be, or are they, are they the trend that's going to be big in 2021? Can you see this becoming even bigger? Well, it's been a bit of a trend for the, the last few years, really. I think, um, you know, it's we've seen it a lot with the, probably the three of the best players in the comp, Martin, Fife and Dangerfield, they, they've all been doing it for a couple of years. 
the criticism I have with Geelong using Dangerfield forward is not... He's obviously a brilliant player. Like, he can have those games where he can just turn it on, whether it's forward or midfield. My point has always been, he's he's a better player in the midfield than in front of goal. He's not great in front of goal. Yes, he kicked two, two brilliant goals from the pocket um, against the Pies, but generally he's not, he's not that accurate around goal. Um, and what he can do in the midfield is so destructive. Is that, I actually did a little bit of digging into some numbers as well. He's actually, since he's joined Geelong, he's had seven games where he's kicked four plus goals. Now, Geelong have won all seven of those games by an average winning margin of 49 points. So the times where he's going forward and actually dominating and not having to bother going to the midfield are games where Geelong are absolutely crushing it. So there's no pressure for them to do well. My point is it's the, it's the tighter games where it's a 50-50 and he's sitting, he's standing in the goal square and he's getting not involved in the play. It's fine when Geelong's 10 goals up. Play him forward, rest him. That's fine. Let him kick three or four goals. But in the crunch games, when it's when it's the, the going's tough and it, there's no certainty, that's when he's got to go into the midfield because he's just about the best midfielder in the comp. Mm. And the other thing is Richmond do it with Dusty Martin. Dusty will go into just about every centre bounce. He's on the ground and then he'll move into the forward line. That's what Geelong should be doing if they want to play danger in the, in the forward line. Let him be at the centre bounce. Let him do what he does best around the ball at, at the set. You know, have him alongside. You know, we spoke about Cam Guthrie being a really good centre bounce player for the Cats. Get him in there, and then once the ball's, he can either get the ball forward or he just drifts forward after that to have his rest. But he's got to be playing more in the midfield. And and if if they play the Lions, uh, when they play the Lions, if they're down by three or four goals in you know in the third or fourth quarter and he's standing at full forward you know hands on hips and the ball's at the other end of the ground that's when I get critical of Geelong because you can't wait forever what's the good in having him there if the ball's not down there that's the problem you know I like that that's a it's a really good point and you bring it up after that qualifying final where Geelong were down by three-ish goals with about 10 minutes left in the game and, and you're right he was sitting at full forward and it wasn't until it was, I think, a minute and a half left that we sort of saw him up up around the ball again, uh, and it was just too late. It's a it's a great point, and and it's really, I guess, it's where it's one of those decision making processes where coaches really earn their money. Like, how do you you've got these? What a great problem to have! You've got these guys that are awesome at either end of the ground or in the middle and and forward, but but how do you best use them? It's obvious that maybe the Pies have overused to go in the forward line, and maybe Buckley need, or assuming that Dugowie stays. You know, do do we put a lot of miles into his legs in the preseason so he can play more as a full time midfielder? Do you start them in the midfield and then just let him run forward and then have some sort of um, like handover process, um, or do you start them deep if they're a great forward and, and you're killing it in the midfield? Like, this is where coaches earn their money. Absolutely. Yeah, the Giants. The Giants have did it a bit with Toby Green as well this year, where he would play a lot of time forward, but he would be in at the centre bounces. You know, he'd he'd be around the ball at in the beginning, and then he'd go forward. Um, but Danger doesn't do that. When Danger's playing forward, he's standing in the goal square generally when the ball's bounced. So he's so far away from the ball, and then you get repeat stoppages, or you know, the Cats lose the centre, and he's he's 150 metres away from the ball all of a sudden, standing there, and he's the best player in the competition. You know, one of the best. So it's, I find it a bit odd. But uh, but going back to what Christian said about the goalie, hundred percent, he's got to play. He's got to play more in the midfield. I think Steele Sidebottom's the key. When he comes back, 
I'd like to see him play a little bit more in the forward line and get those two having a bit more of a split. Because Sidebottom's a great player around goal. He's a great finisher. He's a very clever player. Dugowie's got the, the, the speed. He's got the strength to, be, to play in the midfield. He's a really good clearance player. Um, you know, you got, you, he, he probably needs to go in for a bit of a burst when someone like Adams goes off, off for a rest. He probably needs to go in for four or five minutes to be in there, to be that big body in there. Um, but, but yeah, he's another one. It's just he's not playing enough in the midfield. You've got to get your best players around the ball. Fair enough. Any other names, Christian? Uh, no, I think a few of the guys that, like, you know, that, um, that we, if we just talk about examples of, the, uh, of this position, Michael Walters is another guy that's sort of, you know, he's about 10th and 12th in a couple of rankings. Um, uh, one you just mentioned there, yeah, Toby Green was up there as well. So, yeah, again, but they were the, they were the main guys. Just goes to show if you can have uh, players who can do it all and they're used effectively, uh, they can be major, major weapons uh, in this game. All right, let's move on. We've got two massive, massive games coming up this week in the prelims. Uh, and we were talking about in the pre-pod meeting that the two higher-ranked teams, so Port and Brisbane, finish one and two, are arguably going to go in as, as underdogs because they're the less experienced teams in, in big games. If you look at, Port, like, in isolation, Port Adelaide versus Richmond, you're looking at Richmond's form in finals over the last few years and you're thinking, geez, they're the, they're the favourite here. And the same with Geelong. You look at Geelong and having been in finals basically every year since, geez, God knows when. And then you look at Brisbane, who sort of struggled last year and have only won, you know, won their first final in, in, in a decade or so last uh, two weeks ago. And you think, geez, Geelong have the, the edge here. Jake, where do you start to look at these games and, and how these high-ranked teams can get the wins? Well, they will probably go in as, as the favourites with the bookies, both Brisbane and Port. But I, I think you're right. I think from the, the average fan sort of looking in, you, you would sort of, most people would probably be going the other way in terms of their tipping. Um, I think a lot's going to be made of the, the, uh, the week off. Um, we've got, we have the bye before the finals. And if you win that first week, you get the week off. We've already had a lot spoken about it. If, for whatever reason, Richmond and Geelong play off in the grand final, Will we vent, will we see that buy being scrapped? Like it's just going to be such a massive talking point that the teams that should have the benefit, it actually works against them. We've got a good sample size now over the last few years of having of it having been implemented, uh, and yeah, it's not great reading for the teams that that do win early in the finals. Now, yeah, I think Rowan Connolly um, a couple of weeks ago on the on the site um, produced that piece which really delved into the stats, and I think in the, the winning percentage was so uh, was so high for those that enjoyed the week off uh, in the finals until the pre-finals buy, and then it almost looked like it it's halted the momentum of, of teams that played like twice in twenty five days or or similar. So, but I mean, who, who's to know? I think at this stage, as I think it was Christian said earlier, it looks like after such a weird season, we we have settled on the four best teams. Um, and they just look like coin flip games to me. I could, you can make a case for, for all four teams to be the best team come the end of October. Um, and, and I've got no idea who I'm going to tip. Not that, not that my tipping um, holds any sway um, the way it's been going all year, but they should be ripping games. Uh, looking at Port Adelaide versus Richmond, they played possibly the best game of, of the season, you know, halfway through the year when I think Port Adelaide and uh, Port Adelaide ended up getting away late, but, you know, Richmond had a few of their their best players out as well. So, I'm 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 just looking forward to seeing to seeing two ripping games of footy. Well, Christian, you you probably looked at the stats a bit closer than we have, but 
Um, from what you saw and noticed about Richmond being able to adapt their game plan, uh, how, how do they stop Port? How do, you, how do they, you know, upset the team? Well, upset. How do they beat the team that has been number one on the ladder the entire year? Um, I'm sure they'll know. They'll, they'll, they'll know more than any advice I give here because um, I'm sure they'll have something in store. But again, Port Adelaide, if you're talking about Port Adelaide's big, Port Adelaide's biggest strength is inside 50, um, forward 50 domination. So they like to play the ball locked in their forward half. Um, Richmond aren't sort of as high in sort of trying to protect their inside 50s against. They're, they're pretty happy to give a little bit of the ball to the opposition, roll back deep in, inside 50 and sort of, again, use their handball to release out of there. So um, it's going to be one of those games where even if Richmond win, I could see Port Adelaide winning the inside 50 count by five or 10. Um, it could just evolve that way. But I think to me, one of the, again, sort of, trying to sum it up in, you know, a simple number. But the one number for me that I would be worried about for Port, if, if Richmond are winning the inside 50s by five or 10 or so at halftime and are in front, uh, you know, they're taking away their greatest strength. So um, I have a feeling, yeah, this will be played in Port's forward half a little bit. Um, the clearances, you know, centre bounce clearances might be important in terms of how quickly Port can get the ball in there and see if they can score um, heavily from their own centre bounces before Richmond can get their set up back. Um, but yeah, again, as I said, I'm sure Richmond... Richmond can win it anyway. So <laughs> uh, we've just spoken about that early in the podcast. So who knows? But The AFL's great uh, chameleons. Yeah. I think um, it's, it's going to be Richmond surge ball movement versus Port sort of trying to lock it, lock it in. So that's, that's why this game's going to be yeah, really, really fascinating. I mean, Jake, are you leaning one way or another in this match? I mean, how are you seeing it? Uh, it's probably just about one of the hardest matches to hardest finals to pick uh, that I can remember. Um, I am pretty confident with the second with the second prelim, but certainly not confident with the first. I reckon I might just give the advantage to Port in the first one, um, purely because they're playing at home and, and they've got fans and that'll be there. And they have the confidence that they've beaten Richmond earlier in the season. I would take Port just, but, but you know, it is a coin flip. I mean, how much do you take out of that game from earlier in the year, though? I mean, we, we saw it was a... 21 point win to Port. Well, you have to. You've gone. You have to take a lot out of that game because um, it was played in at Adelaide Oval, I'm pretty sure. And um, they. It was just about the best, particularly the first half. The first half was a great first half. Port should have won by more than they did. Richmond were really lucky to hang around in that first half. Um, It was probably the best that they played all year, Port. And that's saying something for a team that finished on top of the table. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they have to take a lot away from that. You know, anytime you can beat probably the best team of the last, you know, four four years, you've got to take a lot out of it. You can't just brush it off. Mm-hmm. And same with Richmond. They're, they've got to be going and thinking, well, this team beaten us the last time. And, and they'll believe they can win. And they certainly can win the Tigers. No one's going to be surprised if Richmond win. But if I had to pick, I think I would be taking Port by the tiniest of margins. The one point one win. Point. Neil, I you, honestly uh... wouldn't be surprised. If, I honestly, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this was a draw. Like, I, I just, I would not be surprised. I, it's so hard to pick. Another extra time thriller involving Port Adelaide Oval. Neil, could you see it happening? Uh, I, yeah, I was just thinking that when Jake was talking about how close <laughs> it's going to be, and and I'm probably in the same boat as Jake. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be so tight either way. Maybe the fact that they're playing at home in front of the home crowd helps them. Um, I'm interested to know which way he's leaning. He said he's confident about the other game because I'm just as confused about Brisbane Geelong as I am about Port versus Richmond. Uh, do you have do you have a, a margin though for for Port and Richmond? 
I'll go two points, Port Adelaide. Christian, three points, Port Adelaide? That's a blowout. <laughs> <laughs> a blowout. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. With, with the other two, so hard to tip this game. Almost feel disrespectful tipping Richmond. I'll, I'll tip Richmond, but again, how can you, you know, what does the team have to do but stay on top of the ladder for every single round of the season? People are still tipping against them. So, spot on. Um, but again, I'll, I'll just always defer to finals experience. And mm-hmm. always, usually when I'm tipping prelim or grand final, I always take, in, take into account the last two or three years of experience. And Richmond have got that. So maybe, maybe two goals. Or I'll go for even bigger blowout. There you go. Well, I see. Look, I'm looking. Just, I'm looking. just on, just go on. on this. Just, just one last thing from me. I, I also wouldn't discount or forget the fact that the power came so close in was 2013 when they lost yeah. to the Hawks in that in the prelim. Don't don't discount that because there's a few players: Gray, Boak, um, Dixon. Oh, no, Wines not Dixon. Around Wines might uh, have there, been. There's a West few Off players in that playing. team that would be. And and they would be, I'm telling you now, they would be talking about that and they would be telling telling the players how hard that was to lose such a tight game. And and remember at the time we all thought, well, Port is gonna be just a team that's gonna be thereabouts for the next few years. Well, that hasn't worked out yeah. like that. So the the to take advantage when you can and Port as Port's not gonna have a better opportunity to play a prelim final at home, um, you wouldn't think. So take the advantage while you've got it. I'll go against you guys. I think Tigers, uh, I think I'll back form in finals. And uh, Tom Lynch, having been given another life, what's that, five, five of his nine lives as a, as a big cat, uh, I think he'll turn around his form and kick 5-2 instead of 2-5 like he did last week. And it might be too much. Because he kicked five in last year's prelim, I'm pretty sure. Had a, had a night out. So uh, he likes the big stage. And, and the fact that he'll be playing, I think, might get Richmond over the line. Uh, Jake, you intrigued us because you said that you're much more confident in picking the winner of Brisbane versus Geelong. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in this game as well. I mean, the Cats have won nine of the last ten against the Lions. You're not going to back the Lions, are you? I would love to back the Lions because I think it would be an awesome story if the Lions... And and they've been my favourite team to watch the last two years. Yeah. I'd love for them to win because how many times will we ever have a team... Winning a grand final on their home deck outside of outside of Melbourne, um, it's it would be a fairy tale story, fairy tale finish. Cliche, but it is a once but in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. It, re- it it truly is. Well, at least until when's the twenty fifty? Is it twenty fifty four? So you know, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, um, but I just don't think I, I don't think I think Geelong has so much to play for now. The pressure has been well and truly ramped up. It's a it's a it's a bit of a relief to win that final um, over Collingwood and in such a such a dominant fashion. I think the players that they needed to find form, found form. Dangerfield obviously played well. Tom Hawkins, no one's spoken about Tom Hawkins. He had a shock, he had a shocker in the first final and, and bounced back. And then the player I spoke about before, Mitch Duncan, Cam Guthrie, Sam Menegola, all these guys, Joel Selwood. There's there's so much quality there, and I just fear that they might get on top of Brisbane. And win it pretty convincingly. Interesting. I mean, we, we talked about how... Sorry, Go on. I think the same word I feel about this game is it's, a, it's that fear um, of, you know, really what the Lions to do well. But yeah, just, and you know, you've said pre-pod as well, recency bias. But yeah, what Geelong did to Brisbane and knowing sort of, uh, sorry, what Geelong did to Collingwood last week. And knowing that Brisbane, you know, still still a youngish sort of team, um, bolted in finals last year, got all these expectations on their shoulders. They're playing the home final. They're probably, you know, they, they wouldn't want to look ahead, but thinking, geez, we've got a great chance to play at the Gabba for the grand final next week. 
Geelong's one of those teams you don't want to take your eye off the ball for. Um, and sort of if we talk about last time they played, I mean, Geelong smashed them around the ball last time they played. It was it was mainly in the third quarter where they sort of they kicked seven goals to one behind in that third quarter, Geelong. But it started early in that game too. So I think they were up by about 20 or 25 uncontested marks in the first half an hour of that game. So Geelong got a lot of early touches um, and War Brisbane down. And by the third quarter, they really got ahead of the contested possession. So that is one, my main worry for this game is Geelong gets on top of Brisbane early and dominates possession uh, mm. just because, again, because of that finals experience and um, the expectation on Brisbane's shoulders. But yeah, it could, again, be a good final, should be a good final. That is a great point because it's exactly what the Cats did to the Pies. They just did not allow Collingwood's prime movers to get anywhere near the ball. And if Geelong can, again, uh, as you say, hold the ball early, dominate possession and have it on their terms, um, you know, the pressure's off for them, Jake, as you said. The pressure's now been released. Um, they're not going out in straight sets. They've had a massive win against the Pies. The pressure's on Brisbane now because, as you said again, Jake, yeah. and you're spot on, the pressure is on them to win through to a grand final. It's the best chance they'll have to win a flag at, at the Gabba. Uh, ever in their existence. Uh, so, like, if you want to talk about pressure, the pressure is is building. Like, it is it is going to be so so much built up pressure in, when when the bounce gets when the ball gets bounced. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, the cats to me, uh, I backed them at the start of the year. I said this was their one of their last big chances to make a, a flag to win to win a flag, uh, and I'm going to stick with that. I think that they'll win this maybe by four goals. Uh, Neil, do yeah. you have a thought? It's it's funny. I I've been tossing and turning with who I think is going to win this one. But hearing your arguments, all three of you, has made my mind sort of sway towards Geelong because I haven't heard any arguments um, on Brisbane side of the equation. I th- I think it's going to be a lot closer. You guys seem quite confident that that Geelong will get over the line. I think it's going to be a, a really really tight game. Um, but maybe maybe you're right. Maybe Geelong's big game experience might might sort of get them through in those crucial moments. So. Um, as much as I'd like to see Brisbane win, I'll say Geelong by 10 points. I mean, we can make arguments for the, for the Lions. I mean, we, we might as well make a few. They're undefeated at the Gabba this year. They know how to play that, that small ground really, really well. Um, and I know that... Well, the, the, last, part, the last time they played ground, at the Gabba was... Well, they, uh, yeah, the, the Lions beat the, the, the Gabba was the Lions year. won with the Lincoln McCarthy kick at the, at the mm. death. So, that was a ripping game. Um, they can do it. Like we, we just sp- spoke about Port, the confidence they take having be- having beaten the Tigers. Well, it's the same for the Lions. They they did it. The last time they played there, they managed to do it. It's just, we you do have to take a lot out of the most recent game. And for all the talk about Brisbane's record against Richmond being terrible and not having won in a long time. Yeah, that's true. But they actually had played really well against them in the previous few games. They just hadn't got the result for... A, for a few reasons. So it wasn't a big surprise to any of us. I think we all actually tipped Brisbane to beat Richmond in that first game. I don't think it was a surprise they won that. This is going to be a bigger challenge, though, with Geelong playing for a grand final. There's so many things for Geelong. Chris Scott proving that he wasn't that that one-hit wonder in his in his first year. Dangerfield trying to win his first premiership to, to feel like he had needs that in on his resume. Gary Ablett, the story about mm. Gary Ablett. There's so many, there's so many storylines that just point to a Geelong. Mm desperately try to make this grand final because like I said about Port, you never know. You, and, and we look at Brisbane and we go, oh, they're going to be around the mark for, for years to come. You just don't know what's going to happen. Look at the Giants, you know, yeah. one grand final in, in a decade and they remember got those, spanked. So there's five grand finals in a row they were supposed to win. I mean, as tragic yeah. as it is, Jake, uh, you, I think you've, you've, you've circled the point quite clearly. As tragic as it is, 
they almost needed to have uh, a, a grand final up in Brisbane next year or the year after when this when this team is older, more mature, more experienced, and maybe have had a grand final loss or have, have lost a prelim again. Yeah, I um, I agree, I, and that's why this might sound a little bit shocking or a little bit, um, but I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be ugly. I think Geelong's going to win by about 48 points. I think oh. it, I think they could get on top early. I, well, I fear it could go a, a, a massive 48, 50-point margin or it's going to be really tight. If Geelong Cut get on spread. top early... <laughs> uh, if Geelong get on top early and, and really, you know, it's a four-to-one sort of first quarter goals, I think they're going to win really well. I think they're going to win by 48 points or something like that. There we go. Final on. word. Anyone? Yeah. Anyone? Uh, any other thoughts, Christian? Did we get a margin off you? No. Uh, well, I still, a margin. I mean, I want to Brisbane. I mean, I said a fear for what could happen. I don't. I don't think. I'm not sort of tipping that Geelong will do that. But I'll do. I think Brisbane will. Um, I'll sit by five points. Um, I, I definitely know they'll have more scoring shots. That's the one positive for Brisbane is they've been able to generate scoring shots in the second half of the year. We talked about accuracy and that. Mm. Uh, they're one team that I can see scoring against Geelong. So if you, if you want a positive point on Brisbane, it's um, it's the scoring. I just yeah, I just hope they can kick straight because I, I'll definitely tip that they'll win the scoring shots. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Prop bet, yeah. uh, something a bit different. Um, well, <laughs> very good. Well, yeah, two big games, and we'll, we'll obviously watch them and, and hope that they're a little bit higher in quality and watchability than the uh, the semi-finals that we saw last week. Let's move on. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole time, the segment where I'll say a statement to you guys and you'll tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Uh, sure, Jake, I'll start with you. Jordan Dugowie won't be at Collingwood next year. Uh, I think that's hyperbole. I think he will be there. I, I hope he stays. I, I hope he stays. And I think, like we spoke about, you know, 20 minutes ago, I think... He should be playing a little bit more in the midfield, um, and I think we, we, as Christian said, like he's one of the best at it. So yeah, let's hope he stays, and let's hope he gets a bit more time in the midfield and proves that he can be a match-winning player. Well, I mean, an Essendon might come along and say you've got more midfield minutes at Essendon. So could he be? I mean, I think he could very easily be swayed for a, a bit of bit of cash. Neil? Seems seems uh, well, well, he, well, he wasn't. He wasn't, you know, he, he had the opportunity to go to North a few years ago and he didn't go. He could have got a massive con- massive deal then. He didn't go. So I could have got a massive deal at I, North I a couple be- of years ago, Jake. <laughs> oh, Matt. You can bounce the ball really well, we've heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I like it. He'll stay. That's good. I like, uh, I like the, uh, the loyalty that you think he's got uh, behind him because he does owe the pies after a few uh, indiscretions. Uh, Christian. Essendon will finally embrace the bottom out they've needed for a long time. Uh, again, it'll be, it'll be a huge call. I, I don't think they will just get. Uh, again, a few of the names that are linked to them. They've got, you know, um, you know what, what, what happens with Joe Danaher and Saar. They've got uh, the ability to bring in maybe experienced players and to top it up. Um, you know, you, you're asking me whether they will rather than whether I think they should. I don't think they will. Um, and again, compromise draft. You, you probably try to so with an exodus of players this year, draft picks, unless you're going to get future draft picks, um, you probably do want experienced players. And from bringing in Shields, Stringer, uh, Devin Smith and that recently, I think, I think they're going to have another crack at it from, from what, I, what I would have thought. All right. I'll change the question slightly for you, Neil. Should they embrace the bottom out? Uh, I think they should, but, but the compromised draft factor might, might, 
might make it more difficult for them to swallow that because it's a, it's a draft, as you've written about um, a couple of months ago, that it's probably the most difficult to read for recruiters. So even if they have two or three first-round draft picks, there's certainly no mm. givens to become really great players. So I think it's going to be harder for them, but I think they probably should. I think they're in no man's land with their list. Fair enough. Uh, and I'll stick with you on this one because uh, it's a bit of deja vu for the Ds going after uh, a Hawks veteran for a, with a three-year deal. Uh, Isaac Smith, there are whispers that he might want to fly the, uh, the nest for the Ds. Is that the right move for both parties? Well, I can't speak for, for the player, um, but, but speaking about what Melbourne would be after, the fact that he's a free agent means that they don't have to give up anything apart from the salary and obviously being a wingman and, and someone with a lot of speed and a lot of class with the way he uses the ball, that's a massive hole in Melbourne's list. I think Ed Langdon was exceptional on one wing this year, but the other wing, they still mm. sort of try to pigeonhole players that didn't really suit that, that's, that position. So I think it's a no brainer for Melbourne if they can get him across. Um, the sticking point seems to be whether Melbourne wants to offer him a third year. I think he's going to be 32 for the start of next year. So there's a little bit of risk. And as we saw with Jordan Lewis joining Melbourne, his first two years were quite good, but the third year is where he dropped off a cliff a little bit. So, and that's the risk with, with these, these older players. So a bit of risk reward. Um, but I think if Melbourne offer him a third year, um, I think he might come across. Very good. Yeah. Well, it's an off season to watch. Uh, silly season is well and truly underway given some of the rumours and discussion points I've seen circling on Twitter and social media. Um, make sure you check up to date and see how your tipping is going. I know that uh, if you are doing finals, there's just three games to go. So if you are in a battle for that top spot, make sure you get your tips in. Uh, the other thing is the finals bracket. See if you're still alive. See how many of you have been able to successfully tip all those games so far. Uh, footytips.com.au or the Footy Tips app is where you can find out how you're going with those. Gents, thanks for joining me again. Uh, a couple more episodes left for this season. Uh, but to all of those listening at home, thanks. And we'll speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.